So, okay, picture this. Okay, work with me. Let, me. let me paint a little picture for you. Let me see what you would do in this situation. It's the night before your kid's birthday party, right? So, of course, they are, they're stoked, right? They're, your kids are pumped about this. They are not going to go to bed. So it's a fight just to get them. Well, if you're a parent, you know this can be a fight anyway. But this is extenuating circumstances. It's a fight just to get them to think about bed, get them to the bed and in the bed. They're not even asleep yet. Like these are the nights as parents that you say, like your prayers are things like this. You pray with your kid like, God bless them, bless them. But in your head, you're like, God, just knock them out, right? <laughs> just knock them out. Um, and so you're waiting for them to go to sleep because you got stuff to do. Finally, your kids are asleep. Your child's asleep. So now you pull out the big gift, right? The big present, and you start assembling the present. Now, some of you, because I know you, you are assemblers. So you're zipping through this. I am not. So this is like, you know, when I'm putting stuff together, toys, I'm sweating. Like I'm using that screwdriver, really break a sweat. Like I'm really working hard at it. And it can be hours, right? So somewhere after midnight, that thing is put together, and you look at it, and you're just like, man, this thing is amazing. They're going to love it. And that's when you notice the peace, right? <laughs> so the question is, in that moment, what do you do? Now, some of you, some of you, because you're very type A, you're like type A, 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 A plus. You start backtracking, right? You're taking that thing apart until you find where that piece went and you put it in there and you build it back together. Now, I used to be that way. I put together a desk one time and when it was done, I was so proud of myself. It was done. Like it took a week, but it was done. And I, the back of the desk was completely backwards. And that, like, when you put desk, like, that's one of the first, like, that's the one of the first, like, you had to take the drawers out, everything, I had to take it all apart just to reverse that, put it back in. Now that I'm older and wiser, I realize probably would have worked the way it was. So if I'm putting together a gift and I find the piece, the days of putting that thing in there are long gone. What I do now is I, I shake it, I put some weight on the gift, right? I just test it to see if possibly it's going to be okay. And then when it is... I just throw the piece away, right? Kids never know. And you just pray that it never falls apart. Remember when putting puzzles together, if you really liked the picture, you could get glue? Do you remember? Has anyone ever done that? You ever glued a puzzle together? They have like special puzzle glue. Is this new to anybody? You ever heard of this? I'm gonna, your world's going to blow up right now. You could put a puzzle together, and if you liked the picture on the puzzle, you would say to yourself, I love that picture, but like, we need to use the table for eating, so we're going to have to take that apart, right? And I can even remember like, taking it apart, like piece by piece, chunk by chunk, putting it in the box. You can pull that layer and put it together. But they invented puzzle glue. So you take that puzzle, you put the glue on top of it, and then you frame that puzzle and hang it up like it's a painting. I mean, you can still see all the stuff, but still... Work with me, right? My mom had this beautiful puzzle of like some flower arrangement and she glued it together and framed it and hung it up above a couch. Can you imagine putting together a 1,000 piece puzzle? It's beautiful, right? I mean, beautiful. 1,000 pieces. And at the end, you realize that the box only had 999. No, nobody's, am I, am I right here? Nobody's gluing that one together, right? You're not hanging the almost beautiful picture up on the wall, right? What does this have to do with what does this have to do with the helper? 
You know, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? What does that have to do with anything we've been talking about? We spent, since the first of the year, talking about the Helper, doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And, and what, what that has to do with it is, here's what you're going to learn today. Man, God is the best at putting puzzles together. He's the best at assembling things. He's putting something together for a reason. And he's not the kind of God that goes, I don't really know where that one fit. Done. Don't need that. So what if there's only 999 pieces? I'll just put up an imperfect picture. Man, he's building a perfect church, a perfect body. He's so good at using all the pieces. Now, look at the person next to you. Check them out. Go ahead. Now, if you're single, you're like really checking them out, right? <laughs> if you're married, you're like, it's your chance to apologize to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the person next to you is a part of what God's putting together. <laughs> now, if I told you that before, you'd been like, man, no way, right? They're a part of what God's putting together. So before we get into today, into talking about puzzles and pieces and how God's knitting us together, let me just recap you. Some of you walked in like, this is your first time here, um, or this is the first time in a couple of weeks, and so like the helper. There's a sign behind you. What in the world is that about? We started a series in January called The Helper based off of John 16, 7. John 16, 7, Jesus said one of the most astounding things he said his entire time on the earth. Now, you got to get this. This is the last time he's talking to his disciples. They've been with him for three years. They have seen amazing things. And he says something in John 16, 7 that had to make their jaws hit the ground. Here's what Jesus said. You've heard of Jesus, right? He's a pretty important guy, yes? Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. It's a good thing for you if I go away. And all of them are like, dude, what are you smoking? Like, you're Jesus. He says, it's good if I go away, because if I go away, I can send to you, and depending on what version you're using, a counselor, an advocate, the helper. If I go away, I can send to you the helper. So like, what does that look like when he sends the helper? So here's what we've learned about the Holy Spirit. He's called the helper. We've learned this. He's called the helper because... We need help. Now, if you're looking at the person next to you, you're like, yeah, that dude right here next to me, oh, he needs a helper, right? We need help. So he's called the helper because we need help. And a lot of times we get freaked out about the Holy Spirit, right? We've seen weird stuff, heard weird stuff, we've read weird stuff. Maybe we've done weird stuff. But what we've learned about the Holy Spirit is this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you know everything about God. Nobody does. Raise your hand if you know everything about Jesus. Nobody does. Well, okay, Ziggy did because you got the beard. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, what we found is this. So often what we say is, well, if, I'll under, if I can understand everything about the Holy Spirit, I'll think about that. But he's God, right? How crazy it is for us to think we even understand everything about God. It's not possible. So we learn not only is he the helper because we need help, he's God. And what he wants to do in us is he wants to fill us so that we can go out into the world and share the gospel. He gives us power to live boldly over sin and he gives us the power to proclaim boldly that they can live over, overcome sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. So to this point, we know who he is, what he does, even what he wants us to do. We know that he wants us to take this gospel message to the whole world, right? The question now is, what does he give us to help us do what he wants us to do? And so we're going to start today talking about the gifts of the Spirit, um, that just we got three weeks left in this series, okay? So here's how this is going to work out today. 
We start talking about the gifts. My goal today is not to explain every gift because I don't know if I can explain every gift. My goal is just to walk you through a passage of Scripture and say these are the gifts that Paul lists for us. And here's kind of what they look like. Here's some examples in Scripture of where they are. And then next week, when you come back, we're going to talk about how those gifts are intended to function and operate in the body of Christ. If you're one of those people who, like, your weird meter's already pegging at the top, you're going to love next week. Because next week we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit's not in the church to make the church look weird. The Holy Spirit's here to give the church power to proclaim the gospel. Okay, you with me so far? Yeah, okay, good deal. All right, so you've got a note sheet, right? And you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 12. And what I want you to get is this. The way that the Holy Spirit, the way that the Helper prepares us, because the first, the first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do is not get you out the door sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit wants to prepare you so that you can go out the door and share the gospel. And the way the Holy Spirit does that, the way God uses the helper to do that is he fills our gaps. Okay? So let's talk about how God fills gaps. I should not have to try to convince you that you've got gaps in your life, right? Now, some gaps are really obvious. I brought some pictures of some famous gaps um, just so you can kind of see how I'm serious. This is um, Woody Harrelson. Um, you'll notice um, the gap in, in his teeth. Just some famous gapped tooth people. Um, David Letterman. I'm just curious. I was all alone in the first service, but are there any David Letterman fans in the house? Any? David? Okay, we've got a few. Um, do you remember the suit of, um, of Alka-Seltzer? Do you remember that? And like, they lowered him down. That's why I love David Letterman, because he's totally off the wall and random, right? Um, they just lowered him into this tub, this tank of water, while he's wearing this suit covered with Alka-Seltzer. So you can't see him because it's like pfft, bubbles everywhere. I just... Okay, just, just me and you. It's fantastic. Go Irish, right? Yeah. Woo. Since the demonic spirit in the house. All right. Um, Zach Efron, who, by the way, um, that's a rare picture because he spent money to fix the gap. Um, we have another, I think the most famous gap person on the planet. It's got to be Michael Strahan, right? So famous, in fact, that he, um, he really considered paying the money I mean, he's a professional football player. He's obviously got the money he could afford to fix his teeth. But he, instead, he trademarked it. Like, that's his trademark. Like, he's, his logo for his brand is a gap. It's amazing to me, right? Um, and then just so you know, it's not all guys. Madonna. Okay, let's just move on. That's not a good picture of Madonna either, by the way. Are there good pictures of Madonna? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that's terrible. Does Madonna watch our sermons online? I'm not sure. Um, probably not. <laughs> so let me tell you this, okay? You've got gaps. Can I just set you at ease a little bit? Because there could be pressure in the American church to act perfect, right? You ever felt that pressure? Okay, I- I'm the pastor. I feel that pressure. So can I just blow your mind when I tell you this, that I think that God actually created us with gaps. I think he, he knows you've got gaps. He knows that I've got gaps. He knows there's things missing in my life. I think that he did this because, as you're going to see, this is how he puts the puzzle together, right? If you're a puzzler, how do puzzles work? The excess in one piece perfectly fits what's lacking in another. And this is the way that God fills the gaps. I want to just show you um, a couple Quick scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we're going to flip over to Revelation. Just real quick, the whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, he, he's kind of weaving this story, right? Like there's, there's 
lots of different gifts. And then he talks about how there's lots of different members in the body. We like some want to be a head, some want to be a shoulder, some want to be an eye, some want to be a foot. Nobody wants to be the armpit, right? Somebody's got to be. But there's all these different. And then at the end, he even wraps the whole thing up by saying, look, is everybody a prophet? Is everybody a teacher? Is everybody? And he's like, no, 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 right? So what he's saying is, look, we're all different. Do you see that? This entire chapter is about gaps. So what does God do when there's a gap? How does he fill it? Let me just read you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says this. All these, talking about the gifts, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Love that. Drop down to verse 18, talking about the different, body, different parts of the body. It says this, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And then at the very end, so he does the middle, the, the, the beginning, the middle, and at the very end of this chapter, Verse 28 says this, and in the church, God has appointed, first of all, prophets, prophets, apostles, prophets, and he goes down the list, okay? So those three verses, right? Um, the Spirit gives gifts as he determines. God arranges the parts of the body as he desires them. And at the end, he's appointed people to certain positions in certain places. Um, I want you to get this. Revelation chapter 10, verse 2. You don't have to turn there. If you want to, just keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. Revelation chapter 10, verse 2. Beautiful picture of an amazing event that's going to happen at the end of time. Listen to what it says. He's talking about a mighty angel, mighty angel coming down from heaven. And here's how John describes him. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. Now, it's so easy because it's Revelation to read that, and all you hear in your head is, wah, 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 wah. Revelation, ah. right? Fire. But get this, okay? Get how big this angel is. He needs a bathrobe. He's putting on a cloud. I need a lid. I'll get a rainbow. I mean, are you seeing this? This is a big angel. And he's coming down out of heaven, big, nobody's missing him, right? And then look what happens in verse 2. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So um, have you ever, have you ever um, let's just stood up and just, just strike a superhero pose? You ever done that? Makes you feel powerful, doesn't it? Yeah. Like right now you're thinking about doing it. I can sense it. This is what's happening. This huge angels coming down out of heaven, and here's what he does. He plants a foot in the sea, and he plants a foot on the land. Superhero pose, right? What I want you to get is he's intentional about where he puts his foot. This is not Godzilla walking through the city crushing cars. He's intentional. The word in Revelation 10, 2, when it says that he planted his left foot, that's the same word. When it says God arranged the members of the body. So we have, um, we have parades here, don't we? <laughs> Occasionally we have parades. They're not always big. But what happens, what do kids love about parades? Well, it used to be fun until the lawyers told them they couldn't do it anymore. But you throw out candy, right? Floats are going down the street. You throw out candy. And then the candy's all over the road. And kids just have to run after and try to get it. Listen, what I want you to understand is how does God fill the gaps? He doesn't fill the gaps like that. He doesn't just toss. I'm just... Toss the gifts out to the body. Go get the one you want. Run. Run. Faster. Don't get run over by the next float. That's not how God, he doesn't just throw them out there. God's more like a coach, isn't he? 
The Holy Spirit's like a coach. He, he knows his team. He knows the game plan is to win the world to Christ. He knows who he has, what we have. He knows the gaps that we have, where we're weak, and we need his strength. He knows all of that. And so he's like a coach that says, man, we're getting killed on the boards. I mean, I got a team of short people. I need some big people. Uh, hey, you, come on. You're tall. I need you, and I need you not to play point guard. I need to get under the basket. Yeah, you're exactly what I need. I, go now. That's how the coach is. I mean, they're, they're killing us man to man. So here's what we're going to do, team. Time out. 30. Come here. We're going to go zone. See, he's a coach. He's watching. He knows his players. And he's arranging. He's, he's get, distributing gifts. He's putting us exactly where he wants us to be. He's setting us up to succeed. I love that about God. And here we thought the gifts of the Spirit were to make us look weird. They're to make us succeed. This is what our God does. He gives us gifts. And here's how he does it. This is your big idea at the top of your paper. It says this, the gifts fill the gaps with grace. The gifts fill the gaps with grace. So we know how God fills the gaps. He fills them intentionally. He plants people. He arranges people. He's like a coach putting people where they need to be. But what does he fill the gap with? I know, buddy, it's caulk. No. Okay, no. He's not filling it with caulk. He fills it with grace. He fills the gaps with grace. Now, you ever heard the word charismatic? Okay, right now, like just, I just said charismatic, and you're like pinging, right? The weird meter, like, what's going on? Where's the exit, right? So the word charismatic, we have come to associate charismatic with the, the crazy people, right? But Charismatic just comes from this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Five times Paul uses the word charisma to describe the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because the gift is a gift of grace. Charisma literally means grace gift. So when God gives the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church, he's giving them grace. I know that's a lot to wrap your brain around. So I brought a visual to help you understand how God delivers grace to the church through the gifts. Go ahead and throw that picture up there. Any jelly donut fans in the house? Okay, now my favorite thing, now maybe you're not into jelly donuts. That's not really the best picture of a jelly donut because to be a true jelly donut, you got to have the powdered sugar all over it, right? So when you take a bite, you can't breathe in or breathe out. Right? Just, you know, so that's, but maybe you're not into jelly donuts. Okay, let's talk filled donuts. Do we have any cream-filled fans in the house? Okay, there we go. Yeah, so you got the donut and you got the cream or maybe you got the Bavarian cream, which by the way, just I'm a connoisseur here. If you're expecting white cream and you bite into Bavarian cream, you're like, right? So you got to know what you're biting into. So you got to examine like the, the filling somehow. And you got the chocolate on top, right? It's good stuff. This is the perfect picture of how God delivers grace to the church and eventually to the world through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because every gift that we're going to read about, every nine gifts that we're going to read about that I'm going to explain to you what they are, kind of tell you, here's, here's some examples. Every one of them are like these little power-packed, grace-filled packages. And when we use the gifts, like have you ever had a day-old Jelly-filled donut, you put it in the, micro, in the microwave, right? Like seven seconds. I think, it's, I think optimal is eight seconds if it's just a hot now that's now like cold and not now, right? You put it in the microwave, it's eight seconds and boom, hot now. Put a jelly-filled donut, put a cream-filled donut, 
Put it in for 10 seconds. Just try it. Take a bite. Have you done this? What happens? Well, first, you burn your mouth. Second, cream everywhere. It just goes everywhere. Jelly everywhere, dripping down your face. And it's running. It's like in your nap. You're, you're licking your hands. You're hoping you're not in public. But even if you are, you're still doing it because it's really good. That's what God wants to have happen. We're going to look at these gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, man. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to use the gifts so that we can be weird. He wants us to use the gifts so that his grace just covers us. You with me? All right, here we go. You got three types of gifts on your sheet. I'm going to blitz through them real quick. Second, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Let me read it. We'll start in verse 7, and then I'll explain them. It says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, verse 8, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. That's the verse that we read earlier. Now, if you're a planted member here at the church, um, our church has given your family a copy of Robert Morris's book, The God I Never Knew. Um, great book. I'm just taking these, just, these ta- the, um, titles of these gifts, I'm just taking it straight from that book because I can't make it any better. It's really good. So um, if you don't have that book, you just got to join here and then we'll give it to you. That's all you got to do. Just join. We'll give you the book. Or see Wendy, you'll probably get the book anyway. Who knows? So here's the first category. First category is the discerning gifts. The discerning gifts. Um, the first one is the word of knowledge. And here's how Morris um, describes the word of knowledge. He says, knowing something specific about someone that you would not normally know. Knowing something specific about something you would not normally know. Right away, some of you are like, that's the gift I want. Because I want to know stuff about people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're saying one thing, but I know who you really are. That's, again, grace, right? This is about grace. So let me explain how this works. Um, there's a story in John 4. Jesus is talking to a woman at the well. Remember that story? And the woman at the well is kind of like, hey, let me go. I'll like, she says, go tell your husband about what we're talking about. And she's like, I don't have a husband, right? And Jesus says to her, you're exactly right. Not only do you not have a husband, but you've had five husbands. And the guy that you're with now is not your husband. You're just living with him. No way Jesus would have known that. That's a word of knowledge. I had this experience when I was at camp as a counselor. I'm praying for this middle school boy, right? It's at the end of the week, and so he reeks. I mean, he smells so bad. So you're praying for him like this. God, touch him, Jesus, right? It's like, and I'm just behind him. And so sometimes you go pray for people at the altar, and you're like, you ask them, what can I pray about? But sometimes they're like so in, just they're in the zone with God, and you don't want to mess that up. So I just, I don't want to interrupt him. I'm just, I got my hand on him. I'm just praying. I'm praying for him. And as I'm praying, I just knew that God was saying, man, he needs forgiveness with his father. I was like, God, I don't know, man. I don't know if that's it. I don't even know this kid. And I just couldn't wrestle. I couldn't wrestle with any longer. I finally leaned up at the end of the prayer. I was like, listen, this is going to sound crazy. I know, but I really feel like you, you need to forgive your father. And he didn't even turn around. I just saw the, like, you know, the shoulders, they start moving when they start crying. And he just starts sobbing. And come to find out, like, they had had a fight when he was going to camp. Like, I don't know if you're here, if you ever had a fight like that with your kids, but the kind of fight where the kid gets out of the car and slams a door, and they walk away, and all you can pray as a parent is, oh, God, don't let them die. 
Because I do not want that to be the last moment I have with my kid. He had that. And then he went to camp. There's no way I could have known that, right? There's no way I could have known that. That's a word of knowledge. Second, word of wisdom. Second discerning gift is a word of wisdom. It's a divine answer or solution to a specific situation. Um, Have you ever found yourself talking to somebody, they need advice, and you say something to them, and they're like, that's it. Have you ever had that moment where you were the source of their aha moment? That's a word of wisdom. Especially when you have that happen, and then you walk away and go, I am not that smart. <laughs> Is it just me? That happens all the time. You, like somebody needs, they need some insight, and you say stuff, and then they're like, that's it. And you walk away thinking, there's no way I could have known that. I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I can't even make A's in school. I, I'm not that smart. I mean, God gave you words of wisdom. In the Bible, there's a Matthew 17, Peter's kind of talking to Jesus like, hey, um, they're telling us to pay taxes and we don't have, I don't, what are we supposed to do? Situation, they need some wisdom about what to do. And Jesus' wisdom to Peter was go fishing, right? Now, how many of you are like, that's wisdom right there. Just go fishing, forget taxes, just go fishing, right? So they went fishing. Peter throws the, the hook in. The first pit fish he pulls out, they cut it open and there's the money they need in that fish. Word of wisdom, a divine answer for a specific situation. Um, last one in the discerning gifts is the discerning of spirits. Um, I'm going to say a word um, because this is the discerning of spirits. And so here's the word that's going to make your meter ping. Um, this is an awareness of demonic presence. Okay? You're like, oh, dude, I've got that. I can always tell when the Tar Heels in the room. <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. See, I, 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 listen, um, I, I'm a state fan. Um, we, we have nothing to be happy about. So our only happiness is at the expense of Duke and Carolina fans. So I, I only say these jokes because I wish that our team was as consistent as, as yours. Um, anyway, this is an awareness of demonic presence. It's not what we think. Okay, and here, let me explain this. I didn't realize this until I was reading this book and, um, and learning some more, studying some more in different areas. But we've always, you ever heard of the gift of discernment? It's not in the Bible. Hmm, who knew, right? The gift of discerning of spirits is in the Bible. But I like how Robert Marr says it. People that say they have the gift of, of discernment, they're just critical. <laughs> now, we're supposed to have wisdom. We're supposed to, like, learn and have awareness. But this is the gift of discerning of spirits, okay? Um, best example I can give you in the Bible is Acts 16. Paul is going around, and he's, he's like ministering to people and there's this lady who's walking behind him and this is what she's saying servants of the most high god servants of the most high god servants of the most high god which i don't know if you would agree with me or not but it sounds like a pretty good thing to say because they were servants of the most high god so i can imagine like paul's entourage being like this is awesome we're rock stars like like we're doing the work of the ministry and we got this person calling us out, you know, and like telling everybody we're coming. And at some point, Paul, the Bible says he had had so much, he was just done. He turned around and cast a demon out of that woman and she stopped saying what she was saying. Now, how did Paul know that? This, this gift, discerning of spirits. He, he just knew like something ain't right here, right? Um, you ever heard Jesus talking about being aware of wolves in sheep clothing? This is the gift that helps with that. Like, you just know. Matter of fact, now that you think about it, um, pretty much every woman is closer to this gift than every man, aren't they? Like, the wife's talking to her husband. She's like, there's just something not right about that guy. 
And what, what do the guys always go? Oh, come on, babe. He's my bud. And then he steals all your money. You know, like your whole wife's life just, you know, just ruined because he's around. Your wife's like, I uh, told you so, right? Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. That's um, the first group. Second group is this. We'll go a lot quicker. Here we go. Second group, declarative gifts. Um, prophecy. A prophecy is a message of encouragement for a person or persons. This, let me tell you what prophecy is not. It's not setting up a booth and telling people's fortunes, right? Um, I thought about what could we do for downtown Christmas? Let's set up a booth and tell people their fortunes. Like, I'm going to tell you your, your, your future, right? That's not what prophecy is at all, okay? Um, prophecy is also not grumpy men telling you how bad you are. We think that's what it is, right? Just really old, mean prophets in the Old Testament. Prophecy is intended to be encouraging. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says this, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. How many of you could use some strength, encouragement, and comfort? I could. Like, all day long. As a matter of fact, if you seem to have this gift, hang out with me, right? Just, just tell me, man, you're doing great, Paul. You're doing great. Man, God wants to use you to do amazing things in your life. Have you ever, um, this is great, we did this one time with Will. Will is our late riser. Do you have late risers in your house? Like you go in, you're like, time to get up, boys. And Parker's up and dressed, and Will's like still in the bed. So it's just a fight sometimes to get him ready. When he was really young, one day I just had this amazing idea. Let's just do the opposite. And so we, we learned the power of applause because everything he did, I applauded. Everything. Like I walked in and went, hey, Will, it's time to get up. And he's like, oh. Open his eyes. Dude, man, that's fantastic. Did you open your eyes? It's great. He's like. He sat up in the bed. Man, that's, you're the best bed sitter I've ever seen in my life. Way to go, man. By, by now, like, Parker's going, what's up? And I'm like, just come on. He's like, oh, that's a good job, Will. Good job, Will. He comes out of the, he comes out of the bedroom like he's, he's fully clothed. No, oh, man, that's great choice of clothes today. Like breakfast, man, you're the best. The way you put the spoon to the cereal and bring it to your mouth, unbelievable. People could learn so much from you. Way to go. He gets in the car, crank it up. Man, here we go. We're all on time. What I learned was this. Like he responded. <laughs> I couldn't keep that up every day, right? I'm a little winded right now, but he responded. And see, sometimes we think prophecy is like, you're so bad. But biblical prophecy, this side of the cross, is God has great plans for you. He's given you a hope and a future. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. It's God doing, man, that's amazing. You said you were going to read the Bible in a year, and you got all the way to Leviticus. Way to go. Right? <laughs> oh, God. If I was God for a day, y'all would be running for the hills. Prophecy is like this. It's like, I like to think of it kind of like when the general becomes specific, right? The general commands of God become specific to you. Have you ever read a Bible verse that you've read a million times, but on that one day you're like, that's it? When, when Wendy and I were trying to have kids, we, we did all the, like, all the stuff, all the medicine, everything. We could not have kids. And so... One day, she's talking to a friend, and while she's talking to the friend, I'm at the church where I'm serving, and I'm in the prayer room, and I'm praying, and her, the friend looks at her and says, listen, Wendy, I know it's going to sound crazy, but there's this verse in the Bible that talks about, like, this time next year, you're going to have a child, and I really feel like God wants me to tell you that. 
And so Wendy's like, you know, we are, we are so like not in the weird factor, right? She's like, I don't, I don't know, this is to kind of sound weird, God, but like, I think I want that to be my verse. I get home and she tells me about that and I go, you're not going to believe this. I was in the prayer room this morning and I'm reading in the Bible and I read that story. This time next year you'll have a son. And I said to God, I've read that so many times, but I feel like that's mine. I feel like that's from me. And so, you know, a year later we had twins because she heard it and I heard it. And that's the way. <laughs> Maybe next time just one of us should hear it. <laughs> that's prophecy, right? When the general, the general truth kind of becomes specific to you, you know. I love that. It's a great gift. And it's clear. And if you read through 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see this is the gift, right? This is the gift. Paul keeps saying, hey, I'm, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but man, I wish you'd all prophesy because this is the one that encourages people. Man, we want to be a church about prophecy, not about you're going to do this and go left and turn right and take five paces and then there'll be a bathroom. And I, I don't know, just encouragement to people along the way. This is what God wants through us. And then um, second one in declarative is, is tongues. Tongues goes hand in hand with interpretation of tongues. Tongues is speaking in a language unknown to the speaker. Um, we spent a couple weeks talking about a private prayer language, right? So that's private prayer language. This is public use of the gift of tongues. This is when you speak out in a language that you would not normally know. Um, this is can make the weird meter peg, right? So let me tell you a real quick story. Again, next week you come back and I'm going to explain why, why this is weird because we've made it weird, but it's not supposed to be, okay? We've jacked this up. But let me tell you a real quick story how this works. It's a man named Dr. Mark Rutland. He was the, um, the president of Southeastern University. It's an Assemblies of God School in Florida. Then he went out to be president of Oral Roberts University. Um, great speaker, great man, amazing stories. And here's one story that I remember him telling. He was on a mission trip, and he was supposed to preach the, the message that night. And the, the interpreter had not shown up yet. And so he's like, um, on the front row, God, uh, song service is wrapping up, like I'm supposed to preach, and I know one phrase of Spanish, probably hola, right? <laughs> and he's like, I just felt like God told me to get up and say the one phrase I knew, and he would take care of it. And I mean, I know this man, I've heard this testimony, like this is a living man, and he, a living man, that's a great, he, it's a living man, he was a dead man, <laughs> whatever, you know what I'm saying, like a real life, like... He said, that's the, day, that's the day I learned Spanish. What? He's like, that's the day I learned Spanish. I preached a 30-minute message in Spanish that I did not know before I got up to do that. And the whole time I'm preaching it, I know what I'm saying. And he said, from that day till now, I'm fluent in Spanish. I know what I'm saying. I can speak Spanish. I'm fluent in it. That's how the gift of tongues operates. Okay. More about that next week. Interpretation of tongues. The understanding of the idea being communicated in tongues. Um, <laughs> one of the things I used to really wrestle with, because, again, you're going to hear my biases come out, because I have seen so much weird junk. I just hate it. I just, want, so I just want an authentic move of God, right? So I've been in Pentecostal churches where, like, when somebody gave a message in tongues, like use that gift that we just talked about, I would listen really closely, right? I would just be listening, and I might hear like the same phrase two or three times, and then I would listen to the interpretation, waiting to hear a phrase said two or three times, right? And when it didn't happen, I'd be like, what's up with that, God? Or the tongue is like 30 seconds long, 
and then like the longest winded interpreter in the church talks for five minutes, right? Or five minutes long, 30 seconds. I I never understood that until I went on mission trips and started preaching with an interpreter. And here's what happens. You say this really long phrase in English, and then you stop. And then the interpreter sometimes is like five words, and the whole room starts laughing or nodding their head. And I remember looking at the interpreter and like, dude, what are you doing? Like, is my message not good enough? You have to like fix it? I mean, he's like, that's just idea for idea. This is not the gift of translation. It's the gift of interpretation, Right? So, like, it's an idea. You kind of have this general idea of what God's saying through the tongue. It's not word for word. It's idea for idea. Um, Third group. Again, more about this next week, okay? Because I know your weird meter is just, like, going crazy. The last group is the dynamic gifts. So you got the discerning gifts, the declarative gifts, and the dynamic gifts. Um, First one in here is faith. And let's make sure we're really clear here. All of you have faith, correct? Everybody's got faith because that's why you're saved, because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is not that kind of faith. This is a specific gift of faith. Um, Robert Morris says like this, it's supernatural confidence to believe God in a specific situation. That's a good definition, but I need to break it down so I can really wrap my brain around it. So for me, faith is not on my watch. Have you ever had those moments where somebody tells you something and you're like, not with me, not this time. Not now. That's the gift of faith. Wendy had the gift of faith operating in her when her friend said, I think this time next year, you know, she had that gift because she went to the doctor and said, take me off the medication. But, well, you won't get pregnant without it. I'm not going to take it anymore. My God can do this. That's the gift of faith. In that moment, she had it. Not now. This gift of faith is like the doctor says you've got cancer. And while everybody else in the world is like, oh, no. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't use doctors. We should. But sometimes you hear that and you're just like, no, I don't. My God can heal me. We just talked about, um, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three guys that got put in a fiery furnace? They had faith, right? They had to get the faith. Like, um, you could throw us in there and we might even die. We ain't going to bow. My God can deliver that's the gift of faith. I love that, man. I want that gift. And if I don't have that, I want to know you if you have it, right? I want to call you up, shoot you a text. Dude, use your gift for me right now. I'm facing an impossible situation. I need you to use your gift of faith for me. Gift of healings. He gives gifts of healing, not just a gifted healer, okay? He gives gifts of healing, not just a gifted healer. Let me explain why that's so important. One of the coolest things I ever saw in my life when I was a teenager was we had this guest speaker come, and he said at the end, he's like, I'm going to pray for people to be healed. And this dude came up, and he like limped funny, right? And so the guy had him sit in a chair and stick his legs straight out in front of him, and like one of his, it was like that, okay? And so he just sitting there, and he said, look, we're going to pray for God to grow your leg. And then he said, and if you want to watch, come to the front. So what do you think I did? Right? I'm just checking it out. And he put, he put the guy's legs up on his hands so that we wouldn't find he was pulling them or anything like that. And he just started praying that God would, would literally grow this man's legs. And I saw with my own eyes a man's leg grow. I mean, it was like, so much so that like when he was, when they got out there, the man was like, we're going to stop praying now because we don't want to make it uneven the other way. Right? 
I, I love, I wish every minister should be sarcastic like that. I think it's a spiritual gift. Anyway, I saw, see, Wendy, Wendy's like, oh, God. God, send us a real church planner. Okay, um, so, <laughs> this was fantastic, but you know what happened? That man got in a car and drove back to where he lived. And I, I remember thinking as a teenager, I wish he lived here. I wish he lived, because I wish I could just call him if I needed somebody to heal me. And that's not what this is about. This is not about a gifted healer. It's about gifts of healing. Man, he wants to pour that gift through every one of you. You're in a community group. Somebody walks into your community group and says, man, my back is killing me. I've really been convicted by this. How many times I hear people say to me, my whatever's killing me, and I don't follow that with, can I pray for you? Why not, right? Why not pray? Uh, we're just going to pray that God would grow your liver. <laughs> Whatever God does with livers. I don't know what he does. Okay. Gifts of healing. Man, this is what God wants to do through you, through me, through any of us that ask. Amen. The last one is miracles. Um, the gift of miracles is when God intervenes in a way that alters natural circumstances. Um, really good example in Acts 20. There was this man named Paul, and he was a preacher, and he preached a really long sermon. Hmm, I wonder if that would ever happen here. So he preaches like, you know you're into preaching, right? When you preach a really long sermon, and Acts 20 says he preached so long that one of the teenagers fell backwards out of a third-story window and died. You are long-winded when people are dying, right? I mean, that's like, you know, here's your sign. <laughs> so Paul, he was so focused, he was so into preaching, right, that he was like, look, I mean, he says, I'm saying, I probably got two more points to go, and they're the best points, so let's go fix this. He walks downstairs. He goes outside, he prays for that boy, he raises him back to life. And the Bible says then he went back upstairs and continued preaching, right? I mean, like, you are a hardcore preacher when people die in your sermon and you raise them back to life so you can finish your sermon, right? I mean, you're a hardcore preacher. And that's exactly what Paul did. That's the kind of miracles that he's talking about. Man, I, 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 want, I want to hear that from you guys. I want to hear those kind of testimonies. I mean, I love all testimonies, but can you imagine what would happen? Like, if you walked in here next week and said, I, I need to give a testimony. It's like, okay, go ahead. And you grab the mic, and you're like, I was at Walmart, and like this big giant can of tomato sauce fell off the shelf and hit this person, and they fell down dead. Like, there was so much red stuff, blood, tomato sauce, it was everywhere. <laughs> and I just prayed for them, and God brought them back to life. That'd be one wicked awesome way to start a service, wouldn't it? It'd be fantastic. I, I want stuff like that. I mean, I know for some of us, it just makes us feel all weird on the inside, but I'm in this place where I'm just so hungry for an undeniable move of God, I can't wait to hear testimonies of how miraculous powers have worked through our church. It's a lot to take in. Um, so let, let's try to wrap it up. Um, even though some of these gifts can seem a little bit weird, and again, next week you come back and I'm going to explain to you why. The reason why we think the Holy Spirit's weird is because the church has taken what God gave us to use out there, and we've used it in here, okay? And that's made people think that we're weird. As a matter of fact, let me just little, whet your appetite moment. In the book of Acts, I think there are 60 miracles in the book of Acts. If you just read the book of Acts, you'll see these gifts of the Spirit 60 times, okay? Do you know how many of the miracles in Acts took place in an actual church service? 
One. One. But if you ask somebody, is your church Pentecostal, they'll say yes or no depending on what happens in a service, not depending on how much power we have out there. But if you read Acts, they were Pentecostal because their power, the power in them was changing a city. And that's what we'll talk about next week. How we're supposed to actually use these gifts so that we actually have the power. But for today, for today, I want you to know this. That he does not give us gifts to make our church weird or to make our service chaotic. He gives us gifts, these amazing grace-filled jelly donuts, so that when we use them, even if we use them improperly, but we just try because if we use them, grace just goes everywhere. That's what God gives us gifts for. The gifts fill the gaps with grace.